Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR Show, where we save you time by providing you the too-long-didn't-read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube with video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm your host, John Good. This is your Threat Intel Briefing for October 9th, 2022 through October 15th. 2022. Happy Saturday. Ooh, we finally made it through the week. Another one of these to go. Uh, so uh, if, if you're joining me on YouTube, I want to thank you for joining me. We're doing this live. Uh, a lot of times we'll do these streams live so that you can interact and get the news firsthand right away. But if you're watching on YouTube, uh, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Leave me a comment if you think of any kind of content that you want to see, not just for this, but for the channel as a whole. Uh, any kind of content. I always take those, uh, those recommendations or those uh, requests and look at them, see where they fit, and try to get all that stuff in so we can have a bunch of great content. If you're listening on podcasting platform, because we are available on all the popular podcasting platforms, Spotify, iTunes, uh, whatever else there is, uh, there's a whole bunch of them. But if you're uh, listening on there, make sure to subscribe and leave us a review on there as well. Again, I read all those and uh, definitely try to um, take all that that content in to make the show uh, overall better. So, and then of course we are available on replay for YouTube as well. But um, let's see what else here. Check out the show notes in the description as well. So if you want to see the articles, you want to dive a little bit more deeper into the articles than what we covered, definitely do that. That'll take you to my website where I put all the links and everything. There are also other links, so other articles that we're not going to cover, but they're also you know good information to consider and to read through just so you kind of know what's going on in the world with cybersecurity. All right, so without any further delay, let's go ahead and jump into the articles. So first article, security chiefs fear CISO scapegoating following Uber Sullivan verdict. So this is a really important one that I really want to make sure that we cover. Chief information security officers are split on whether Wednesday's conviction of Uber's former uh, security chief, John S Joe Sullivan, will have more wide-ranging consequences for people in their position. Uh, the record spoke to more than a dozen security uh, executives about the ruling and the reactions differed widely. Some like Digital Shadows CISO Rick Holland said the case will prompt more CISO whistleblowers in the future. Others like CyberSaint co-founder Padriek O'Reilly said that security chiefs should be prepared to be held responsible for incidents that they're involved in. So definitely, right? Uh, one thing that we have seen consistently and it just continues to happen and hasn't really changed since this role kind of evolved is that when it comes to technology getting breached and hacked and all that kind of stuff, that CISO is always used as the scapegoat like 99.99999% of the time. It's immediately to that person's fault, right? And so as a CISO or as a future CISO, kind of depending on where you're at, you know, that's something that you have to take in consideration is do you want that job, right? Is it worth it to have that job and to really be on the hook, right? Because a lot of times if you're the one on the hook, 
and you get breached, you might not just get a uh, reprimand or you know a scolding. You're going to get fired, right? That's kind of a big deal, right? Um, you've got to be pretty comfortable in your uh, in your career in your situation to be able to you know accept that. Um, not everybody wants to be in that kind of situation where you're always on the hot seat, really. So I think that's definitely you know, something to consider. Um, but also too, there's going to be a lot more, you know, covering, covering yourself, right? That's one thing that, you know, insecurity, especially you have to do is you have to cover yourself because ultimately, you know, you're the one that's interested in the security of the organization and you have the most, um, in a lot of cases, the most vested interest, right? Because that's your job. That's what you're brought in to do is to secure the organization. And so, you know, even though other people within the organization might support security, you know, they have other, um, other drivers, right? Other things that they're also concerned with. But, um, you know, it's, it's kind of scary, right? Like maybe you have to get personal liability insurance or you know, something to cover you, right? Because everybody's going to get hacked. Let's put it out there, right? Every company is going to get hacked or has been hacked. And that's just how it is. Uh, see, a federal jury convicted Sullivan of two charges related to his attempted cover-up of a 2016 security incident at Uber, where hackers stole the personal data, uh, personal details of 57 million customers, and the personal uh, information of 600,000 Uber drivers. Yeah. So basically, so if you don't know what happened, basically these hackers they they got into the Uber system. And ultimately, uh, you know, Uber found out and what happened was they decided that they were going to um, basically treat it as like a bug bounty and pay these hackers, but they were going to, so it kind of covered it up basically. That's basically what happened. And then it came out and it was discovered and, you know, now it's a huge issue. So, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, prosecutor said Sullivan took deliberate steps to conceal, deflect, and mislead the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, about the 2016 breach. Sometime, uh, something for U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of California, Stephanie Hines, reiterated in a statement. Now there's a statement here. It says, technology companies in the North District of California collect and store vast amounts of data from users. We expect those companies to protect the, uh, that data and alert customers and appropriate authorities when such data is stolen by hackers, she said. Sullivan affirmatively, affirmatively worked to hide the data breach from the Federal Trade Commission and took steps to prevent the hackers from being caught. We will not tolerate concealment of important information from the public by corporate executives more interested in protecting the reputa their reputation and that of their employers than in protecting users. So not only did... Uh, he, act, uh, he actively tried to, you know, conceal it. He also, uh, you know, kind of misled the FTC or kind of omitted from the FTC, right? So uh, that's, you know, that's a serious issue. Uh, Casey Ellis, CTO at Bug Crowd, said the verdict has already sent shockwaves through the CISO community and highlights the personal liability involved in being a CISO in a dynamic policy, legal, and attacker environment. So. You know, insecurity in general, right? And especially the CISO role. Again, you get people that are pulling you in different directions. And as a security person, right, a security professional, you 
you don't want to be that roadblock where you're always saying no or you know whatever you're trying you're basically putting up roadblocks for the business so you get pulled in a lot of different directions and it is easy if you let it happen or you kind of let it get out of control it can be easy to kind of go down the wrong path or decide one way you know and that's ultimately a bad decision like in this case right um so you have to constantly af- uh, act ethically right and do the things that you you know you know to be right um especially when dealing with like customer data employee data any kind of sensitive data in general but especially then when you're dealing with you know the government too it's like it's one thing if you you know if you do something wrong right and then it's another if the government starts asking questions or you know interviewing you inquiring uh and then you start lying or concealing it from them too right that just kind of compounds the issue and we actually see you know in the news and different examples a lot where companies kind of you know obscure information right like when companies get breached right that's a really good example it's like a lot of CEOs will come out and say hey we we didn't get breached you know it didn't happen everything is fine we stopped it right at the border of our of our network and you know whatever and then like a week later it's like okay we did get hacked um but it was very minimal and then it's like a week later than that okay we got hacked and there's you know a million customers data that got exposed so i mean we do see that a lot in today's world which is unfortunate but i think with this personal accountability um you know amping up as far as who's responsible i think we're going to start to see a lot more emphasis on really covering yourself right just document everything document emails document when you tell people uh, like executives what you've discovered and you know sometimes have them sign off on it right <laughs> have them accept it um because yeah ultimately especially when you're at the top you know you're you're gonna be held accountable for sure all right uh next article which kind of goes along with it is one in five CISOs work over 25 hours overtime each week according to new research from Tessin 18% of UK and US security leaders work over 25 hours extra a week double the amount of overtime they reported in 2021 interestingly it's those in bigger organizations that are working longer hours at smaller companies, 10 to 99 employees, security leaders are working an average of 12 hours extra per week compared to those at larger companies, 1,000 plus that are working 19 plus hours a week, uh, extra hours a week. The other side of the coin is that security leaders at smaller companies have a more difficult time creating boundaries between work and home life. Like uh, um, 20% of leaders at the companies say they can always switch off from work compared to 31% of those at larger companies. And then overworked employees are more prone to making mistakes when they're uh, tired or stressed. In fact, 47% of employees cite distraction as the top reason for falling for a phishing scam. And 41% say that they accidentally sent an email to the wrong person because they were distracted. So let's kind of break that down. So definitely in security, you know, depending on the organization you're at, there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, there just is, right? There's just a lot of work to be done. And especially if you're building a program or you're early on, you know, there's probably going to be a little bit more work than if you have a very established 
and mature program. Um, but definitely as the CISO too, you know, that person is always basically on call, right? There's no rotating shifts here. So um, ideally, if that person gets called though, like at, you know, 11 o'clock at night, it's a big deal. It's not like some minor thing, right? But, um, you know, so that's definitely, definitely a thing. Um, and then you look at it, how it talks about the smaller companies versus the larger companies. Again, that's, you know, a growing program or a new program versus an established program, because the more that you have established with processes and procedures and all that kind of stuff, the easier it is to work through a lot of issues and kind of go through the process, right? When you're new or a newer program, then you're kind of learning things as you go. A lot of times you have to document stuff as you're going so you can kind of, you know, create those processes and procedures. But, you know, that happens. And then especially, you know, being at, being at the top, having to work a bunch of extra hours and then being the scapegoat too. That doesn't sound like necessarily a great deal, right? Just saying. So. Um, definitely interesting. Just overall, those two articles, if you want to be a CISO or if you are a CISO, you know, let me, if you are a CISO, let me know, you know, how that, um, if that relates to your experience in that kind of role, uh, if you want to be a CISO, you know, that's something to consider, right? Because that's going to be your life. <laughs> you're going to you're going to work extra hours and then you're going to get blamed for everything, you know? <laughs> so All right, moving along here. Let's see here. Uh, next article, world's largest crypto exchange hacked with possible losses of $500, $500 million. Binance, the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, may have lost half a billion dollars after, uh, after a hack of its network. The company temporarily suspended transactions and the transfer of funds after detecting an exploit between two blockchains, a method of digital theft that's been uh, used recently in at least one other major hack. Binance said that about 100 million in funds remained uncovered from a total of 570 million that was taken. You know, we're not going to dive too deep into this article, but one thing that's very interesting with the cryptocurrency world is that it's still very much um, riddled with vulnerabilities. And we see that with all these different, you know, platforms and, um, and different cryptocurrencies and, um, you know, all, all this stuff. We see that there's constantly just serious vulnerabilities where, you know, you can either manipulate the, um, the value of that cryptocurrency or you can, you know, siphon off. Um, siphon off cryptocurrency from ex uh, platforms, exchange platforms. And, you know, it's definitely still an emerging, uh, emerging area. Um, you know, I think that's one concern too, why there's kind of this desire in some crowds to regulate cryptocurrency and kind of start to put restrictions in there or why, you know, there's not a lot of, um, a lot of faith in cryptocurrency because they do continue to have issues. And, you know, with like an exchange or like an actual cryptocurrency, when you start being able to manipulate what that value is, 
and there's no regulations in place like there is with you know regular currency, um, you know that's a serious issue because that literally affects the value of what your of what your holdings are, right? It's not like if you have um, you know a million dollars, you know yeah, like over time inflation and things are going to affect that as far as what the actual value is because over time it's you know going to be worth less if you don't have it invested and it's just sitting there and getting ate up by inflation but but um you know the cryptocurrency that can change overnight right that's that's not that reassuring honestly um yeah <laughs> but especially with the um the newer uh the newer currencies the newer cryptocurrencies those are a lot of the ones that we are seeing more activity around this. Um, we don't see it with some of the ones that are a little bit more established. Uh, I think that's because, you know, it's probably a little bit more worked out, but not, not necessarily foolproof, right? You know, just saying. But um, imagine if they did that with like Bitcoin or something like that, where it's like, I don't know what it is today, but maybe around 40,000 or 30,000. I'm sure it's between 30 and 40,000, right? Per Bitcoin. And you were able to manipulate that make it worth like a million dollars per Bitcoin <laughs> or I guess it'd be less, but yeah, like 5,000 uh, per Bitcoin. That'd be pretty crazy. So uh, next article. So this one's really interesting. The thermal attack can read your password from the heat of your fingertips leave behind. Computer security researchers say that they've developed an AI driven system that can guess computer and smartphone passwords in seconds by examining the heat signatures that fingertips leave on keyboards and screens when entering data. Called ThermoSecure, researchers at University of Glasgow's School of Computing Science developed a system to show how the falling price of thermal imaging cameras and increasing access to machine learning and artificial intelligence, AI algorithms, are creating new opportunities for what they describe as thermal attacks. By using a thermal imaging camera to look at the computer, uh, keyboard, smart, smartphone screen, or ATM keypad, possible to take a picture that reveals the, the recent heat signatures from fingers touching the device. The brighter the area appears in the thermal image, the more it was recently touched, uh, more recently it was touched, meaning that the image could be used to crack a password or pin code by analyzing where the keyboard or screen was touched and when. Earlier research by the University of Glasgow into thermal attacks has suggested that humans without expertise can guess passwords by looking at thermal images and now by adding artificial intelligence Passwords can be cracked even faster by specialist attackers. So, yeah, I mean, that's pretty insane, right? That you can use thermal imaging, which if you don't know what thermal imaging is, basically think of taking a picture. And if you've ever seen like a heat map where there's like darker colors, like a, a dark red or something like that, you know, that's basically the idea. So there's going to be, uh, usually it's darker colors indicate um, more heat, right? So like a really dark red or something, that would indicate more heat. And then you get lighter colors, and that, that means it's kind of dissipating, right? But if you can identify where somebody is like tapping on a keyboard or a keypad or something like that, and you can see you know, what's the hottest or kind of, you know, oh, this one is super hot, this one's a little bit less hot, you know, and kind of go like that, and then you can put that into like a password cracker or something like that, you know, that, that just made life so much easier. And especially with like quantum computing, <clears throat> with like quantum computing, you know, that, um, that's going to make 
cracking passwords so trivial. I mean, cracking passwords in general is already pretty, you know, pretty easy, pretty standard in a lot of cases because people reuse passwords and make simple passwords and all kinds of nonsense. But uh, the idea that you can just, you can see where people are pressing, put that into a password cracker, use quantum computing, crack it in like a second. <laughs> um, but it's definitely an, uh, an, interesting, um, an interesting discovery because, I mean, yeah, like something like this, it's going to be a very specialized kind of attack. It's not going to be something that, um, you know, your, your average script kitty is going to go perform because that's, you know, obviously that's not going to happen. But, um, you know, especially if you have physical access, right? So physical, um, uh, physical penetration tests or physical um, breaches, when somebody can actually get into your organization, then they could use something like this for sure, right? Um, I mean, it, it depends, I guess, on the speed that you can crack the password because that's going to matter. But I guess also too, you know, one thing that you could do is if you breached into an organization, you could, um, you know, take a picture, right? Take your thermal picture, take it back and then crack the password. And then you have passwords now, right? And then come back and then use them or, you know, use them online or whatever. Right. So I think that that's a little bit concerning because that does make that whole process of breaching organization, um, you know, a little bit more trivial, right? So pretty interesting. All right, next article. Subjecting workers to webcam monitoring violates privacy Dutch court rules. A Florida headquartered company has been ordered to pay about 75 uh, euros or $73,000 in compensation and other fees after firing a Netherlands-based remote worker who refused to keep their webcam on all day. The company Chateau said that the unnamed employee was required to attend a virtual classroom with their webcam turned on for the entire day and their screen remotely monitored. But when the employee refused, saying that their webcam on for nine hours a day made them feel uncomfortable and was an invasion of their privacy, the company dismissed them, citing refusal to work and insubordination. In a decision published last week, the court court ruled that these were not sufficient reasons to dismiss the employee. There's been no evidence of a refusal to work, the court's decision read. So, um, cameras on all day. <sighs> Interesting, right? Like, as an employer, now, I've heard of a few, few places that have had this. I'm not going to name the companies. But to me, that's ridiculous right? You have to keep your camera on all day. It's just like, ugh. you know, who wants to work at a company that doesn't trust them and forces them to keep their camera on all day? If you're a CEO and you're requiring, or an executive and you're requiring your employees to have their cameras on all day, it's like, give me a break, right? Like, I'm surprised you have any employees because once people start realizing that that's just so ridiculous, they're not going to stay right? Like, I'm not surprised somebody left because of that. That's just, you know, I could see like, you know, maybe and like, um, maybe like an hour class or something like that, where you want people to engage, you want people to, you know, interact with each other, right? Like, so it's a, you know, that's like a normal meeting kind of link, right? 
nine hours a day. That's crazy. No, thank you. Um, good on this company for getting hammered by the, by the, by the courts for that, or I guess good on the courts for hammering this company rather. So yeah, that's just, that's silly. Um, you know, the other thing too, that I think about this is they got ordered to pay $73,000, right? In the grand scheme of things, I'd like to see that number a little bit higher. <laughs> like, I personally, I'd like to see that number a little bit higher. I mean, I don't know what this person's making, right? Um, but, you know, I'd like to see that number a little bit higher because, you know, they got fired. They're going to have to take time to go find a job. That's an inconvenience. There's, you know, a lot of issues around that. And, you know, unnecessarily fired, right? So I'd like to see that number tick up a little bit. But um, yeah, let me know if you'd ever work for a company that forces you to have your cameras on all day long. Let me know in the comments or the chat or, um, yeah, I just, <laughs> I, I can't. Like, who would, who would want to work at a company like that? That's just, that shows that you don't trust your employees. That's just so ridiculous. And then also too, like in um, Europe and stuff, you know, then are you, are you storing that data? Like that comes off the cameras. Are you taking pictures? Are you recording those, uh, those camera feeds? Like so many questions, so many questions. Let's see here. Uh, next article, UK government urges action to enhance supply chain security. The UK government has warned organizations to take steps to strengthen their supply chain security. New National Cybersecurity Center, NCSC, guidance has been issued amid a significant increase in supply chain attacks in recent years, such as, solar winds, such as the SolarWinds incident in 2020. NCSC cited official government data showing that just over 1 in 10 businesses review the risks posed by their immediate suppliers, 13%, while the purport, uh, proportion covering the wider supply chain is just 7%. Amid or aimed at medium to large organizations, the document sets out practical steps to better assess cybersecurity across increasingly complex supply chains. That includes a description of typical supplier relationships and ways that organizations are exposed to vulnerabilities of cyber attacks via the supply chain and the expected outcomes and key steps needed to assess suppliers' approaches to security. Ian McCormick, NCSC Deputy Director for Government Cyber Resilience, explains supply chain attacks are a major cyber threat facing organizations and incidents can have a profound, long-lasting impact on business and customers. Okay, so if you haven't been watching a lot of these episodes or following in the news, you know, supply chain security is increasingly important, right? There's, there's this increasing focus on supply chain security for a lot of reasons, right? So, I mean, typically as an organization, you don't get or develop, um, you don't develop everything in-house typically, right? Like so there are some organizations that do. It's pretty rare though, because even if there's like a little widget or something that you need or a little, um, you know, a code library or something, right? Typically you're going to get something from somebody else. We don't typically make everything in-house. Um, especially with like software, there's been a lot of focus, a lot of concern on this. We've seen companies like GitHub 
to store code repositories, starting to um, add additional things, add additional features to their products, to their services to help with supply chain security. But we've also seen, you know, various library code libraries and things like that getting compromised. And then, you know, you use that code library initially when it's considered secure, you build out this massive product that's out for 10, 20 years, something like that. And then all of a sudden you find out that there's this vulnerability in that code, uh, in that code library in your code base that's everywhere. Right. So it's a serious deal. Um, and you have to really evaluate your supply chain security and how that process works, what you're taking in, where that is located within your product, how that impacts the overall product, right? Ideally, you know, when you're getting other components, ideally you want it to be kind of like um, like a Lego set where you can, you know, pretty easily take out one component and put in something else maybe that's more secure and not have it intertwined in the entire code base from the entire product or service, right? Because once you start, you know, building it in there and kind of baking it in there, kind of like when you have, um, like if you have like ropes or like wires and they start getting, you know, tangled up and crisscrossed in each other, you know, that that's a serious issue because yeah, that when you do find that vulnerability down the road or it's discovered, you know, you're going to have a nightmare of a time if it's unfixable, right? And it's a lot easier if you can just, you know, plug, take that out, plug something else in and keep running, right? Um, but, you know, supply chain security, it's not going away. It's not something that we're going to stop talking about. We're going to keep talking about it, especially, you know, as there are these massive issues like solar winds and there's been others, you know, throughout the last several years. But um, you, ha- you just have to consider it, right? That's got to be part of your... Uh, your security program. If you've ever looked at the NIST risk management framework, RMF, um, supply chain security is baked in, right? Like there are controls that are in there. Uh, Check out the NIST 800-53 that talks about a lot of the controls that you can implement for security, but there are considerations for supply chain security. And, you know, you you just have to, (laughs) You, you can't, can't bring in libraries and things like that and then not consider the security implications. And then it gets to, well, you know, identifying what kind of compliance requirements that that supplier has or what kind of security practices that they're doing. Are they doing best security practices? Maybe they're not doing any security practices and maybe that's a reason to not go with them because they're going to eventually get hacked and then it's going to impact you. We also have, you know, sometimes uh, linkage between systems, right? So direct links, not necessarily I'm going to download this package and then our networks aren't connected. Sometimes you have networks that are connected with suppliers and that's a serious issue too, or supplier has credentials or something to get into your network, right? So all kinds of concerns. um, And you have to really, really pay attention to that, especially as you get, you know, larger in size and in your organization, because you are going to start having more suppliers, more vendors, and you know, more relationships like that where it does matter. And, you know, if you don't pay attention to it, then I guess, you know, you're, they're going to get hacked and they're, they're going to affect you or you're going to get hacked and you're going to affect them. And it'll be a big nightmare, right? <laughs> so, you know, you should pay attention to it. But um, that's going to be the last article for today. 
Uh, like I said earlier, if you check out the description, there is a link to the show notes. It's on my website, so you can go check out the articles uh, and you can you know, dive deeper in the articles that we talked about today, or you can also check out some of the other articles that are in there as well. If you join me live on YouTube, this is Saturday, so I want to thank you for spending some of your Saturday with me. And uh, if you're watching on the replay, appreciate that as well. But on YouTube, make sure you leave a like, comment, and subscribe. If you enjoy the show, if you think that we can do anything better, if you want to see other kind of content, not just around the news or the threat intel briefings, but as the, uh, the channel as a whole, definitely let me know. Remember, we are on all the popular podcasting platforms. So Spotify, iTunes, and all those kind of platforms. So if you're listening on there, uh, make sure to subscribe and leave us a review as well. Again, same thing. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know if you enjoy the, uh, if you enjoy the, uh, the show. And uh, with that being said, we're going to go ahead and call it for today. And I want to thank you for joining me, and I'll see you next time.